Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook em Up, 1019, AM 1260, The Horn. Fabulous fifth hour with uh, Willie Nelson, the great Willie Nelson, leading us into the uh, last hour of our Wednesday. Always like to give some good news to start the hour, including this, a eight-year-old chess prodigy, Rod. Eight-year-old chess prodigy, uh, prodigy. In let's see where this is, Singapore. Some kids yeah. from Singapore made history over the weekend. Became the youngest player ever to defeat a grandmaster in an official tournament match. Ashwath Kashuk, the young player from Singapore, defeated Poland's Jacek Stopa in the fourth round of the big chess open. So an eight-year-old beat a 37-year-old chess master. Wow! Come on, man. A 37-year-old should. Should be a little embarrassed. Big time. Him. Come on, man. I know he's a prodigy and everything, but come on. You got the experience on him by three decades. He's an eight-year-old. What are we doing here? <laughs> and that's the first time that somebody that young is beating a grand, yep. that grand champion? Yep. Youngest person to beat a ch- – because, I mean, you, you, you ascend to that grandmaster status. Yes. Yeah. And uh, youngest player ever. Okay. Eight years old. Yeah, I mean, he's a prodigy. There's no question about that. But still, I'm sure at 37-year-olds getting it, – it, there's a lot of trash talk. His friend's giving him the business out oh, there. Oh, that is – like, That would have been like if Steph had lost to uh, Sabrina Ionescu. They already said, oh, man, they'd have been in the locker room. They'd have been just brutal. They'd, they'd have been unrelenting in their trash talk of Steph if he had lost. And I was like, but she's one of the greatest. like, don't matter. Yep, still, still they give you the business. Like... He lost to a woman. Nah, man, you're supposed to be the greatest of all time. Strip that title from you for a little while. And now you lost to a, a preteen. <laughs> Not even a preteen. Uh, but it kind of would be like Steph losing to an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. Got to- <laughs> I, was like, I was this kid. Like, no, nah, man, that's uh, it's not a good look. I know he's a prodigy and everything. So I'll be look- what's the kid's name again? I'll be looking out for him. Oh. They're going to make a movie about this kid one day. They probably will. Um, he's going to be that talented. Yeah. Uh, his name, you know, he's from him. Singapore. He's okay. a name. Yeah, Ashwath Kaushik. Okay. I'll listen Kaushik. to Ash- Ashwath. Yeah, from, from uh, Singapore. He's eight. I'm going to look out for him because he's on, he's on his way to big things. I think the, the guy took things. him lightly at all. I think he said, come on, this he kid's de- eight. He, but didn't, he, didn't he, the kid have to beat others to ascend yes, to that? Yes, he did. To, to play the grandmaster? Oh, man, then you should have took him lightly. You gotta, don't, don't they this watch? was in the fourth round, so this is pretty deep yeah. into this uh, event. And they got to watch film. Those guys watch film on each other because you want to know the, the, the different techniques they're using and the methods and their style of play. So I, they, I do believe chess players watch film on other chess players. And they watch their moves and see how they move and, like, what they, what they do in different situations. So I'll know how to set them up. And they can, you know, that's how point of playing chess. Right? So I, he had to know he was good. Yeah. Because he had been watching film on him. If he didn't watch the film, then you're right. Then he definitely uh, was arrogant and a little bit in his approach. But I doubt that. Props to the eight-year-old. Props to the eight-year-old in, oh, in, uh, in the chess championship. There you go. That's oh. the way we start our fifth hour. Uh, Rob, we're talking a little bit about te- Texas baseball. They pounded out 24 hits last night, beat up on uh, So they one, one shot of the record? At 25. They, ah. were, they were threatening it. They had 24 in like the eighth inning then. Yeah, and they unloaded the bench last night. I mean, they, they had a ton of guys got to play last night. Yeah, get that record, man. And uh, it's kind of cool. I know, uh, you know, Houston Christians, you know, Texas outclasses them every way. But good for Lance Berkman because Lance Berkman, the uh, former 
Uh, middle, he went to middle school in Austin, Texas, then down in the Braunfels. Oh, okay, of course, yeah. the, uh, the Rice Owl and Houston Astro great, who should, I think, be in the Hall of Fame. He, uh, he, he is the manager of the, uh, and the coach there of the Houston Christian Wildcats. Okay. So good for him. That. Yeah, so he, he brought his team up here. And, and you know, it's a, it's a learning experience for his team trying to play the Texas Longhorns. But they pounded out a bunch of hits, uh, 24 to be exact. And, um, boy, the guy last night, this is interesting, Ryland Galvan, he is uh, the young catcher, second year out of – he's a sophomore out of Sinton. He belted a home run. He went four for five, had a double. He was the one that hit the home run into the Eddie yard where all the frat oh, dudes man. went crazy and jumped up and down and spilled beer everywhere. It was a great so scene. That's the second home run into the Yeti yard? Second one. Had a grand slammy. And, and, and you can tell where this is going, man. People are hearing the grapevine. is oh, It doesn't cost anything. He's going to come on in, BYOB. Uh, they got Yeti chairs out there. Sark was out there last night. Even Sark hanging out in the Sark Yeti Sark heading yard. out in the Yeti yard, man. Star power out there now, man. Yeah, and so Ryland hey. Galvin hit the home run. That's, he's a good player. Go ahead. They'll expand it next year, though. They have to. It's getting too popular. Yeah. Uh, Jared Thomas. Jared Thomas, by the way, has been up 20 times already this year, and he's been on base 13. Um, this Boy. guy, yeah, he's your leadoff hitter. That guy is a dude, uh, without a doubt. So, good to see that for the Longhorns last night. Uh, I mentioned TCU beat uh, Texas State last night. Really good game, 6-5. to five. Uh, That's going to be a good Texas t- uh, State team this year. Uh, college basketball was great last night. Texas Tech with a big win. Uh, they, they get a big play from Pop Isaacs, their leading scorer. Old-fashioned three-point play on a cut to the basket with under 40 seconds to play. That was really the bucket that broke TCU's back. They end up winning that game uh, 82-81. Great basketball game last night. That mm. was I mean, I think the, the, it was pretty much a two-to-four-point two game most of the night. Now, there was one point where Tech stretched it out to nine or ten, but TCU quickly got right back in it. Those were – and that because we know t- TCU is the, the best fast-break team in the Big 12. They get up and down the floor. They can They've run. got great point guards. They can, they can elevate. Made a lot of dunks in this game. Uh, it, was, it was – I don't know, from the jump, the intensity level between both teams was really, really high. And, uh, you know, it went to the finish line, uh, one-point ball game. But Texas Tech gets that win. Meanwhile, Baylor was losing in Provo. They lost to BYU 78-71. Uh, so now you have Tech, Baylor, and Kansas at 8-5. and five. They're in a three-way tie for third place in the Big 12 behind. Of course, Houston sitting on top at 10-3. and three. Iowa State mm-hmm. is 9-4 uh, and four after their game on Monday. And then it's Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. Longhorns will be at Kansas on Saturday afternoon, Saturday at 5 o'clock. Yeah, that's going to Man, they need to steal. They need to steal a road game here somewhere, coming up. Well, it's either going to be in Lubbock, which if you saw that crowd last night, that ain't, that ain't man, that, those people are nuts. Yeah. And uh, Tech plays really good at home. Props to Grant McCaslin, by the way. If you're a Texas Tech fan, you made a good hire because that's the kid. That's the guy they hired from North Texas, right? He had North Texas in the tournament last year, the Mean Green, and uh, he's come in in one year. That team is. I mean, the teams I just mentioned: Houston, Iowa State, Kansas. Uh, Baylor, those were expected to be the favorites in the Big 12. No one expected Texas Tech to be up there in that group. Yeah, yeah they've, they've outperformed. They did a nice job. I like their point guard, Joe Toussaint, the kid that transferred from West Virginia. He's a real good player. Uh, Pop Isaac's a real good player. They're fun. They're a fun team to watch get up and down the floor. So that was a good game. And then at the same time, BYU and Baylor were playing. And then Creighton was beating UConn, number one team in the country, got, wow. got beat by uh, the Creighton Blue Jays. <laughs> And they just couldn't miss. They went 14 of 28 from three-point land. They were making everything last night against a UConn team that had uh, – that was their third game in seven days. But uh, their 14-game win streak comes to an end with that loss right there. And the biggest story of the day yesterday, Rod, was the college football playoff announcing uh, it's official. They voted on it unanimously. Remember, this would have been – this was going to be voted on last year, but uh, it was the Pac-12, Pac-12. commissioner that yeah. – that, uh, declined to make a vote. Klyavkov. Yeah, he, it needed to be unanimous. He wanted further discussion. And now, guess what? 
You don't you want to vote? Well, then we'll get we'll eliminate your conference. <laughs> he made so many miss. He made so many missteps and miscalculations as the commissioner of the Pac-12. Now he's officially out, right? And they and they, and they officially parting ways with him, even though there's no conference <laughs> to be the commissioner of. Uh, he had he made so many mistakes. And remember the alliance. It's another mistake that he made. The the alliance with the other uh, conferences that the it was supposed to Pac-12, the ACC, the Big Ten. Was it the Big Ten in the it's Alliance? The Big Ten was in the Alliance. Oh, the Big Ten. That's why the Big Ten did them dirty. They did them dirty. They backstabbed. did them dirty. They backstabbed the Alliance. They yes. wanted to be in the Alliance to know to know what they were doing, everything behind the scenes, to know that the plans were for the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Yeah. So, and that's the second time that happened. Remember, because I think basically that's what uh, Greg Sankey did to Bob Bowlesby. Oh yeah. He because remember they were in the college football playoff committee together, so he knew a lot of what was happening with inside the Big 12 with their issues and updates from Bob Bowlesby himself. And he used it, I think, to help poach Oklahoma and Texas from the Big 12 to hey. show the instability of the conference. So, yeah, man, that, there's, what did you say, there's all fair and love and war? Hey, man. Uh, all fair and, and love and realignment. Football. Yeah, in college football. Well, look, I mean, it's, it, you know, you can say what you want. <laughs> it's I mean, either, it's, it's Game of Thrones. It's, it's yeah. uh, Sopranos. You I mean, either disrupt or be disrupted. Listen, it was the heads of the four fam- five families now. Now there's the heads of the four families. Exactly. Because you out. out. <laughs> Klyovkov, you all. You're done, son. Yeah. yeah. And obviously now they have voted, the four remaining families, <laughs> along with the uh, the other Group of six conference. That's the new uh, language you need to learn. It's group of four and group of six. Power four. Group of six. Power yes. four, group of six. Okay, power yeah. four, group of six. Yeah, You're so right. the power four. That's uh, why you got to give credit to Brett Yarmore because nobody expected the Big 12 to be a part of that power four. That was supposed to be the Pac-12, especially after Texas and Oklahoma poured out. He did an unbelievable job of stabilizing the Big 12 and at the same time pulling the rug from up under the Pac-12 and getting the TV deal done before the Pac-12 got theirs done. Even though they had what month a six to nine month head start, yeah, on the Big Twelve, that was the hell of it. Now the Big Twelve is guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff, along with the other power conferences, and to keep their power status, even though they have no blue bloods, they have no blue bloods, and they will have a power power status with no blue bloods. To me, I thought that's what initially gave you power status. Because when you looked at the only thing that separated the power conferences from the group of whatever conferences was the fact that the group of school uh, conferences had no blue bloods in them at all. I'm talking about traditional classic college football blue bloods. And then you know, the realignment happens, and I thought, oh, the Big 12 doesn't have a blue blood. They may end up getting kind of left out in the cold. Not the case. Uh they get their spot, their oh, guaranteed I'm, power spot. So they're still a power conference. I remember coming and doing the shows. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Texas, Texas of the world, Baylors, I and mean, they're panicked. I mean, where are we going? I mean, we're, we, we need to – because there was talk of trying to get into the Big Ten, try to get over here. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the Big 12 was over as we knew it. And uh, here they are. Uh, with Not just in the Power Four, they might be the third conference with what's going on in the ACC right now. Could happen. Uh, the instability there. Uh, yeah. So it's like, man, that's, that's strong. And, you know, yeah, George Klyavkov will go down as an all-time. Oh, blunt. I mean, that's. Just an all-time lack. I mean, just was, yeah. goofball. I can't <laughs> think of a better word than that. Just totally lacking vision. Uh, totally asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Um, Gross and, imbecility. It's yes. Just like, and just, just terrible leadership. Well, let's, 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 let's talk about that. I mean, the Pac-12 has, 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 has the, the, the irony of it all is that the Pac-12 this year was maybe the best conference in college football. Best quarterbacks. Um, yeah. you know, with, with all the quarterbacks and, uh, you know, Washington and Oregon and all that goes on, USC. But the, the five years previous, the Pac-12 was a mess, right? Yep. And they didn't play in the COVID year. They were kind of off the radar. All their best players were leaving to yep. go to play in the SEC. All the kids from California were moving on and, and going east. 
to play where college football is relevant and where, mm-hmm. where the real college football is being played. And almost like in the state of California with a lot of things, right, they, they're politically different. They don't value football like, like they do in the deep south here in Texas, Florida. And so players understood that. They're like, well, we need to go play where they're playing good football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you lose your talent. And so this last year was kind of an outlier for what the Pac-12 has been. I agree. Um, but, you know, it was, that was part of this. But at the same time, when things start moving, you have USC, you have UCLA, you have Blue Bloods or USC and, and Oregon. You've you got some big brands here that you can – you got much more than the Big 12 does without Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, you were asleep at the wheel. They jump into the Big 10. And I think a lot of people think that was kind of the plan all along. And there had to be a loser in this thing. And in the end, it was the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the Big 12 is a big winner. And uh, as I said to you earlier, and I said last night on our Longhorn live stream, hard to believe that, that the, the, the Big 12 champion has a, has a leg up on Notre Dame in this big picture structure. So if, if TCU with Sonny Dykes wins the uh, championship in the Big 12, they're going to be in the four-team playoff. And if they're one of the four highest-ranked teams, which they almost certainly will, they're getting the bye. Yeah. They're going to be off. So TCU, Texas Tech, Oak State. I mean, who's it going to be? Utah, I don't know. Uh, they get a bye. Notre Dame can't get in that group. Notre Dame, and this move to me is just over and over again. They're, they're bashing Notre Dame over the head to get in a conference because yeah. you're still somewhat a big deal. You haven't won a national championship in 36 years. Been a while. And you haven't been relevant. When you do get to the Final Four, you've getting, gotten crushed. I think they're over their last six when they get, do get to the big dance uh, in college football when it's four, right, uh, or even a BCS game. Uh, you know, well, now you're going to have to be the, the, the number five is the highest you can be ranked, Notre Dame. That's it. That's the best you can do because you're not in a conference. Never We're going to reward our conference champions yeah. with a bye, uh, and you're not one of them. So get your ass in a conference. <laughs> is it, yeah, is that, is that enough incentive for Notre Dame to give up their independent status? I don't know. I mean, they're pretty arrogant, those, uh, I mean, those yeah, no, Notre Dame oh, no, fans. I, I don't think it is, actually. I think they are that ignorant. I'm not saying it's the right decision, but they are, they're going to hold out as long as possible to keep that unique independent status. But I'm not, I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it's as advantageous as it used to be. Don't, don't they see it the used, ecosystem is changing yeah, dramatically? It used to be. I, used, I can see where it used to be a huge advantage. I'm not sure anymore if it is such a big advantage. Well, now it's a disadvantage. You can you can make that argument because we can because again, I, you can go twelve and zero at Notre Dame against a good schedule, win every game by double digits, and the highest you can be ranked is five. Under this system, yeah, they're not allowed to go higher than five, so that's a disadvantage. Uh, you, even if Marcus Freeman puts this whole thing together, and they're all of a sudden right back to the top. Won't matter. You're not in a conference. So well, you the highest they'll get is five, but you know they won't leave out a Notre Dame that's in no, the top. No, they'll get in. If Notre Dame's in the top 12, they're going to find a way to get Notre Dame in there. You but, know I mean, fact is this. I mean, if you're in that top four, you only have to win three games to win a national championship. If you're not, you've got to win four. That's true. Got to win an extra game. It's a harder road, but Notre Dame, they'll, they'll tell you. They, they, that's, that's what Notre Dame football is all about. They'll take the road less traveled. They'll do that. They'll take that, they'll take that road. They don't care. We'll see. I think for them, they think the independent status is worth keeping even though I'm not sure in the, in the new what era you, of college football if it's worth it. What do you think Marcus Freeman would say? That's a good call. Now, he probably <laughs> wants, he wants that chance at that buy. Get me in a conference, he wants to be, well, and, and, you know, at a conference, I think it'll help Notre Dame recruit, too, to get into a conference. I agree with you on that. I think it's getting tougher to recruit independent status, considering where they are, where they're located. Well, I think Notre Dame, the other, because if you're trying to put Notre Dame in a box and get them into a conference, which would be the Big Ten, of course. Yeah, they're not going to. Um, you know, watch this over the years now. I mean, all of their main rivals are now in a conference, and most yep. of them are in the Big Ten. Big Ten. What if they have a hard time scheduling games? Like, who are we going to play here? Uh, you know, all of a sudden USC doesn't want to play us because they're in the Big Ten and they've got to play a Big Ten schedule. 
this becomes a much more difficult schedule. Maybe Michigan doesn't want to play us. Maybe, you know, Stanford, um, you know, going to the ACC. Maybe they're, this schedule's too – I don't know. I mean, if you're trying to box them in, like, you know, who are you going to play? Got to play some good teams, but they're already now playing in these mega conferences, and they don't want a non-conference game of that that magnitude. Uh, and the, right the way the schedule works, once September's over, um, they're yeah. they're not they're all conference, conference games. games. So I mean, does your unofficial tie to the ACC help you out? Where I know your other sports are playing AC. Could the ACC decide? All right, we probably can help, that's we'll the way you go. Notre Dame because yeah. they want the future possibility of Notre Dame well, and, when they joining wholeheartedly. Yeah, and, fully and, committed. And the TV networks, ESPN, wants those games. I mean, they want Clemson, Notre Dame on yeah. ESPN from Clemson, right? They so, want those games. That ACC, that but I see that could also end up pressuring Notre Dame to join the conference if the ACC does indeed fold and become less uh, of a you know a power conference because they lose some blue bloods like you know, Florida oh, State look, I mean, or North Carolina. If that happens, another realignment ends up uh, siphoning some of the ACC schools, that would weaken their tie to the ACC. Sure. And then maybe they would think about joining a conference. Yeah, there's a lot at play here. Uh, I, I don't think we're done with the, the, the next wave of realignment. But the next one I think will be the last one. It's got to uh, be. It's well, there's nothing left. Yeah, there's nothing left. Yeah. They just got to sort out the final couple of pieces. Yep. Uh, and look, I mean, BYU had been independent. They said, you know what, we need to be in a conference. Uh, right. we, and BYU you know, gave up their – you know, independence, Notre Dame, they're like the outlier. I mean, who's left as, as an independent that actually is in the group of four? They like being an outlier. Or that though. wants to be a part of that group of, of you know, the, this conversation. Uh, they like the outlier. They got their own TV contract, might be, man. It might be against their own best interest, though. Uh, um, yeah. By the way, I also give credit. You mentioned Brent Yormark, and absolutely, but I'm going to give Lawrence Chauvinek, the president of Texas Tech, a lot of credit. Uh, behind the scenes, he has been the most vocal of the Big 12 presidents trying to tell, hey, calm down, y'all. Stop being mad at Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's doing us no good. No good. Can we hire a new commissioner? Get rid of this guy Bowlesby, and let's get somebody with some vision. Let's and because and, the president's hired the commissioner, and it was a Chauvinek, uh, and uh, you know there was the most aggressive at time to, to get everybody because everybody was trying to you know come after Texas for money. We're not going to yep. get let you out. You got to buy your way out and. And, you know, Chauvinek was the one saying, y'all, they're leaving, okay? Uh, and let, yeah. let, let's, let's figure this thing out. Let's see if we can stay alive as a conference. Right. And they went out and, and really smartly found an outsider coming in from, um, you know, Rock Nation with an NBA and NASCAR background to come in and be their commissioner. And he's been super aggressive. And what do you know? When the Big 12, when the season starts this coming year, they've got, uh, you know, Texas and OU are gone, but they've added Deion Sanders in Colorado. They're bringing Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona finishes a top, you know, 11 or 12 team last year. Right. Uh, they, they brought in BYU, which we've seen already in basketball has been impactful. They're bringing Utah, who's been the most consistent program in that Pac-12 for the last half decade. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big get for them to go with what you hope is a rising you know, continuing to rise TCU program and Oklahoma State and uh, Houston needs to be a program that gets it cranking up with Willie Fritz. They do, yeah. That needs to be a program that grows. But mm. uh, you know, to be to be a lot, no blue bloods. You're right about that. But uh, they do have they do have some of the cool factor though with Dion Colorado sure. coming in. You're right about that. He has monopolized the college basketball market. They are the elite college basketball conference out there. That still matters at least for one month out of the year. You know, Big Twelve could end up being the showcase conference uh, when tournament time comes around. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they and, – and he's very progressive and modern in his approach, right? They're going to have exhibitions in Rucker Park, uh, you know, to, yeah, to, to promote the outside the box thinker. They're having – like you said, their media days are in Vegas. They're going to have that right now. They have their media – They're going to Vegas for going, media days. They're going to Vegas for media days. That's smart. They're very I mean, smart. That's, trust me, you're going to have more media that want to cover the Big 12 now out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I want to go to Vegas to cover the Big 12. Well, look, this is and exactly – Dion in Vegas in the Big 12, I mean, that matters. This is exactly yeah. the kind of thinking college football has needed for a long time. Yep. That's why they've been – that's why they are where they are because they had old heads running things saying, no, 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 we're amateurs, we're amateurs. They needed someone to come from the outside and say, no, no, what are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> Will you guys stop A this? Fresh perspective. Uh, you know, yep. this, is, this is probably the – you know, this has been the case in baseball, golf, and college football, all run by old folks yep. you know, who the like the old traditions old, and don't want to give them up. Oldest fan bases too. Um, you know, you, you know, golf had come in the PGA Tour had been brought in some more outside thinkers and said, guys, you know, we got this this live issue coming. What are we doing? They didn't know about live at the time, but we've got these Saudis. And well, now they're figuring it out in high in hindsight. Yep. Um, but they weren't proactive. Baseball does this all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, college football has been way slow to react. Either disrupt or be disrupted. And some of the younger more progressive, modern conference commissioners now have that mindset that, no, no, I'm not going to be disrupted. I'm a disruptor. Yeah. Well, you have to come in like that. And, and, yeah. and you know, this is what your Mark's done. He doesn't think like the old guard. He just he thinks totally differently. He thinks he like does. a promoter and a marketer and a businessman. He really does. And it's, yeah. uh, well, you know, why are we in Dallas for the media days? Uh, that's just where we've always been. It's like, why? Well, why don't yeah, we go to yeah. Vegas? <laughs> yeah. Why don't we go to Vegas? Yeah. No, he's got a pro day now. Remember, he's, oh, yeah. he's got a conference pro why day. Why are we doing this? For all the pro, he's like, yeah, so why not showcase all these pro days? Let's put them in one spot and then make it a television event. He thinks like that. Like, why not? Why not? He's one of the people that asked that question. Some people ask the question, why? He's a why not guy. Well, why not? And usually he doesn't get a good response, so he decides, let's do it. So he's got a what? They got a business. I think they have a business summit now for the Big Twelve, where they basically just bring in different uh, businesses and see how they can collaborate with the Big Twelve. He comes up with songs. He's got now soundtracks essentially that he's building for different sports. Right? They have these concerts they have before the Big Twelve basketball tournament, where they bring in different artists and they have like a little concert uh, to promote the Big Twelve. I mean, these are things that I mean I never thought about. But he's thinking about him. That's right. And he's not, yeah, you're right. He's asking, why not? Let's do it. Let's push the brand. And that's what they have to do. And that means if you're your mark, you're thinking 10 years from now, we've got to have this brand growing. We've got to keep growing yes, the Big 12. Right yeah. now, the Big 12 is seen as the fourth conference. We, we do this right. We can grow the brands within our conference, and we can grow the brand itself. Uh, big picture. Uh, remember, he wanted to change the name. He did. He didn't like the Big 12. He thought it was too old and stale. He, I, think he, I think he still thinks that. Yeah. And they would, yeah. let's us come up with something snazzier and shinier and new right. than the Big 12 because that's got a negative connotation to a lot of people. All right, Rod, I know you're going to take us behind the burnt orange curtain, but uh, thanks to our guy CB, there's some breaking news from Texas football that I can mention right here, Rod. Breaking news, breaking news. Uh, look at this, Texas football announcing that uh, Rams head coach Sean McVay will be the keynote speaker at this year's Texas Football Coaches Clinic. He was just here. He was just here like three years ago. Yeah, I think you he remember was. that? He was. He literally. No, he was. He was. A, he was the keynote speaker for. I want to say Tom Herman had him in. Like one of Tom Herman's last years. He was also the key. Yeah, 2019. 2019. 2019. He was the keynote speaker at the coaches clinic in 2019. He was just here because remember uh, because after him they had uh, I want to say Sarkat Shano in for like uh, was it 2021 or then Dan Quinn was it one time? Then Dan Quinn was it. So he's I mean he he's basically come from that. I mean that Shanahan coaching tree. I've talked about how much it means to Sark. It's pretty obvious it's his favorite coaching tree. Like there's no doubt about it. I mean look at the guys he's brought in and even Dan Quinn is on the kind of 
of periphery of that Shanahan coaching tree because he loves Shanahan coaches. I mean, that's why he, he brought in initially Kyle Shanahan. They made the Super Bowl run. He's the one that hired Sark. Uh, he's a Raheem Morris guy. And Raheem, him, him, Raheem Morris, go way right back. Raheem Morris is also one of the favorite coaches of the Shanahan coaching tree. That's why Sean McVay hired him initially. And then when he got his head coaching job, Raheem Morris went back to that Sean McVay, McShanahan coaching tree. So uh, Sark's a big fan of him, and that's why he grabs a lot of concepts uh, from, from Shanahan. I know when Sean McVay even talk, I'm, I'm surprised he hadn't gotten Matt LaFleur because that's another guy he talks about from that coaching tree that he really likes. I'm surprised he hadn't gotten Matt LaFleur yet. So maybe it's just he hadn't, you know, hadn't asked him or, you know, but I, I think he's trying to get all those guys from that channel. Mike McDaniel's going to be next. I guarantee you. If he has a good year and sticks around long enough, he's going to bring in Mike McDaniel too. Bobby Slowick. No, no, really. He loves that coaching tree, man. He's a big fan of it. And I think he's doing it selfishly. He does it to – obviously, so the coaches have access to these guys. But I think he does it selfishly because he's like, no, I want to sit down with these guys for a couple hours <laughs> and pick their brain. Go out for dinner and uh, let's dinner. Talk, yeah, some, just, talk some ball. Just talk some ball. Let me steal some ideas, man. All right, good stuff right there. That's just been announced in the last 10 minutes. Texas uh, now announcing Sean yeah, McVay good stuff. as the keynote speaker. And that will be part of spring practice and then, of course, the spring game and uh, – you know, Pro Day on the March 20th for the Longhorns. All right, we'll come back. When we do, we'll uh, go behind the burnt orange curtain one more time. Also, uh, what's popping for the end of the hour? We're talking college football playoff. Also, uh, a little Longhorn football on a Wednesday morning. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. Busy show today. We got a lot to do before the top of the hour. Get some what's popping. We told you the pop, the uh, Big 12 basketball was going to be popping last night, and indeed it was. College hoops was really good last night. Longhorns bats were popping last night at the dish. So we got to find uh, what is popping. I know what I'll be you know, taking some uh, time on. Rod, as I uh, I saw the first episode of the Patriots Dynasty docu series on Apple Plus. Nice. Uh, and I can report it's very good. I can tell it's going to be a, a well done document docu series. 43 minutes, though. So the first episode was only 43 minutes. It looked like the second episode was only going to be 38. So these kind of go pretty quick. But, man, first episode was chock full of good stuff with, you know, the arrival of Tom Brady with uh, Drew Bledsoe's $100 million contract, um, you know, and the, just the beginnings of that quarterback controversy you know, with, with Drew Bledsoe's injury. Uh, Bill Belichick trying – you know, I, I said this, but uh, Bill, I had forgotten. That's what's cool about these docuseries. They take you back in these things you've forgotten. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had forgotten because I remember, I remember I told you when I was in college, I went to the last playoff game the Cleveland Browns were in before they moved to Baltimore. They played uh, – it was uh, them against the Patriots back in 1994. Oh, yeah. And when Bill Belichick's first head coaching opportunity, and they beat the Patriots. He had Vinny Testaverde as his quarterback. But one of the main reasons Bill, Bill Belichick was hated in Cleveland is that he cut Bernie Kosar. Cut. Fan favorite. A fan favorite. Yeah. Uh, a local guy. Of course, he went to Miami for college, but he was from the area. Yeah. Everybody. And that's a – that's a you know, you bring, you bring back a hometown boy back, and that's my that's my boy. Yep. You're cutting him? Mm-hmm. Uh, Belichick was like, man, he's old, gimping around out here. Um, we're going to move on. What did what did Brendan Cross do after that? Went to Dallas and won a ring. There you go. As a backup quarterback with the Cowboys. Well, was it backup then? Backup, backup. Yeah, so yeah. he wasn't a starter. So maybe Belichick was right about that. Yeah, but the fans didn't care. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you fired my boy. Yeah. That's my boy, Blue. And they didn't have a band, they didn't have a backup. So uh, that that was prefaced with okay. Then six or seven years later, he's got this Drew Bledsoe thing. Here comes this guy, Drew, Drew uh, Tom Brady, and man, that took some stones there, Belichick. 
Uh, you, did, yeah. you just you lost your fan base in Cleveland, and now everyone there loves Drew Bledsoe, and he's the face of the franchise. And uh, so it's pretty good. Forty-three minutes in, you also get to learn the, the competitive drive of uh, Tom Brady at an early age, and oh, yeah. um, just his relentless competitive sickness. Competitive man. sickness. He's got it. I told you he he was having dinner when 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 Bledsoe was hurt and he was playing. Cause I think it said he went five and two while Bledsoe was hurt. And he was playing good football, and the team was winning. And that's why Belichick was wanting to stick with him, because we're winning here. We're winning. Winning games. And he was sitting at dinner with Ty Law, the, the great corner, and uh, Lawyer Malloy. Mm-hmm. And the, those two guys, Malloy and Law, said that uh, Brady said, man, I'm not giving this up, just so you know. Man, I'm not going to give it up easy. Spot. I'm fighting for it. It's my spot, baby. And it's funny, because both of them in separate interviews said the same thing. Okay, young buck. Okay, young buck. We like your confidence. Okay. It's not a lie if you believe it. Go ahead, man. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, young buck. Yeah. All right. Just so you know, he's making a hundred million. So yeah, money talks around here. Hey, you're a six round pick. He's making a hundred mil. Uh, we kind of know how this going to go. Little did we know, hey. <laughs> we, it usually goes that way, but he saw a hey, Belichick saw something special. We got to still give Belichick credit for that. And people don't because you're right. That was a bold move. Can't wait oh, for episode no. two tonight. I think there's three episodes out. That's on Apple Plus, by the way, if you're looking for it. Needing some football. Yeah, it's good stuff. It was real good. Uh, real good. I'm excited to uh, go uh, go nine yeah, I want, more. I want to binge. So I'm a, I'm, I think I'm going to wait now until they get like three or four. Three, four, four of them in, and I'm going to try to binge it one weekend. Like do a little binge for half of it. It's like a nice, fun thing to binge and right after one another. Boom, boom, oh, boom, Oh, that boom, is boom. good. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of relive it. Yeah, you look like on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to kind of wait till you get four or five, you know, built up. I'd also uh, say that uh, there's the beginning. They do a tease of kind of what's coming for the whole ten episodes. And oh, there, because people have asked this morning on the text line, yeah, there is Aaron Hernandez. They, got to. They, they she got to get to Spygate. Spygate, Roger get, Goodell. Oh, man. Uh, Def, Deflategate, Spygate. Hell, don't forget your first Super Bowl was the um, Tuck Rule. Tuck Rule. Well, that's coming. The Tuck Rule. Well, so not the first Super Bowl, but like your second Super well, Bowl. Well, I saw that, that the – Tuck Rule. Yeah, the episode right? that's uh, – the title of episode two, which I have not seen, is called Snowball. The yeah, Snowball. So yeah, so we got to be you know, getting close to talking about the Tuck Rule there. That was the first controversy that started out with the dynasty. Yeah. It was like, whoa, what is that? Did he did he throw it? Did he do it? Yeah, he that was a fumble, by the way. I know. It's like <laughs> it, it still go back. That was a Charles that's Charles uh, Woodson. It was a fumble. I agree with you. Now with our, with the new understanding that we have, we've been programmed to think, oh, tuck rule, that's not a fumble. But at back then, that a was fumble. a fumble. Like that Des, was a fumble is, Des is catching green back. That was a catch. Come on, man. Exactly. Now, now, I don't care about your definition and interpretation. No, no. That was a fumble. That was a catch. Sorry. Yes. The eye test the eye test wins here. Yeah. I'm with you. I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, they they fumbled that. And no. Wow, the Brady, the football guys do like Brady though. He has had some some luck on his side. He's great. He's he's elite. But to 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 have a a legacy that tremendous and to be that impressive, you have to have a little luck on your side. And he's had a little luck on his side. That was the first one. That was pretty lucky. Right? <laughs> Charles Woodson. Oh, he because wasn't it Charles Woodson who was it Charles Woodson who sacked him? It was Charles Wilson. Yeah, because yeah, I heard Charles Wilson talk about it. He's mm-hmm. like, oh no, they cheated me out. They no, cheated me it. out of one there. Oh yeah. Well, and then because we know that there are controversy, right? Tuck rule. I mean, the uh, Tuck oh, rule, the uh, Deflate Gate, and the uh, Spy oh. Gate. In the in the first episode, his roommate, because he he ends up uh, with a roommate, this defensive lineman from Purdue, okay. and they're living in this house, and uh, they would play Tecmo Bowl for hours. Tecmo Bowl, old school, baby. And I the, remember the, it. Yeah. And the guy said, that, <laughs> "Think about this with Tom Brady. When he was losing, he would get frustrated. And he would stomp the floor, and it would restart the game." Oh, that's oh, cheating, cheating Tom. Tom. Come on, cheating, Tom. Come on, Tom. Don't be cheating like that. I will say, though, if you play enough video games with teammates, and we, we played the Madden like that, played college football like that, 
the quarterbacks, they have the biggest temper tantrums about the game. <laughs> Sims broke so many – like, he would break so many, like, games and he'd end up breaking the controllers because he would throw it or something. Like, quarterbacks, he'd have to replace it. But quarterbacks, the ones I played with, they – yeah, they would lose it. Take your L, Tom. Yeah, just take the L. They hated taking that L, man. They did. Oh, that was brutal. Yeah. And it, it is tough. I remember playing – with your whatever, your avatar or your character on the game is frustrating because when you get beat, uh, when you're having like a, somebody just ripping you apart, you're having a bad game, it, uh, it has a personal, like it, a personal effect on you. That's funny. You almost feel like you have failed somehow, even though it's just on a video game. But when they're throwing deep on Rod B and just, just torching Rod B on the game, I'm like, am I this terrible? Why they, why they got me this bad on this game? <laughs> like, why am I this, hell, this bad on the game? So yeah. it is, yeah. The competitive sickness oh, of Tom get, Brady, gets you, which takes you to the idea that maybe he would break the rules a little bit oh, to hell gain yeah, his he advantage. Would. Oh, yeah, no he would. doubt he would. You know that. 100%. Yeah. All right, let's get to Behind the Burn Orange Curtain one more time. And they were all asking themselves the same question. Hey, Zach, can you hear the Matt? What is behind that curtain? All right, uh, one last time behind the burn orange curtain, and we're talking about the NFL Combine. Uh, we're talking about the uh, prospects for the Longhorns who are headed to the NFL Combine and uh, the NFL Draft. The Longhorns likely to have uh, as many as eight guys drafted. Could have more than that, actually, if uh, some of the late rounds are kind to the Longhorns. Uh, might have five players taken in the top 60 picks or some of the top two rounds of the NFL Draft. Uh, it's expected to be a really record-setting draft, potentially, for Texas football. Matt Miller, who does uh, NFL Draft Evaluation for ESPN, uh, did a really good job, uh, I think, working for Bleacher Report initially and then just Head on, started to uh, hit a meteoric type rise in the industry, and he's been great. He is a Longhorn fan, so he watches the games personally, but also professionally, especially with now the Longhorns having so many uh, NFL draftable prospects. He did a media availability, a media call, talked about a lot of different things, talked about the NFL, and talked about uh, different prospects coming out, different college football programs. And he was asked about Texas. Shout out to my man Jeff Jones of KVU, who asked him, "Hey, who among the Longhorn uh, prospects has the most?" to gain in this offseason process through the combine pro days and then the draft here's what matt miller had to say a few months in the mock drafts so i was going to say byron murphy has the most to gain because i, I think a lot of people aren't aware of him uh, just because we didn't see him in a in a all-star game he wasn't you know shrine or senior bowl and what texas asked him to do is you know, you know he played head up on the offensive tackle in a 3-3-5 defense so he was not asked to just pin his ears back and go rush the quarterback, which is what he actually does very well. You know, he's not the biggest guy, 6'1". We'll see. He's probably between 300 and 310 pounds. But his quickness and his raw strength are just jaw-droppingly good. And so for me personally, as someone who, as you called me out of my helmet, uh, I, I watch every Texas game, obviously. Um, I was a little surprised when he declared because I hadn't at least heard a lot of buzz. So for some of these guys, when they declare, it's like, okay, now I need to watch him. And as soon as I started watching him closely, it was like, okay, he's going to be in my top 40. You watch more and no wait, he's going to be in my top 30. And then it's wait, I think he's going to be in the top 20. And uh, sure enough, now I think he's in my top 15. So I, I think some of that is just getting caught up. You know, we watch so many games throughout the year, but you're not always focused on individual players. You know, you're trying to take like a holistic view almost. And obviously like watch the quarterbacks because those are the guys we're going to get asked about a lot. You want to watch the Marvin Harrisons and the Joe Alts guys we know are going to be, you know, probably top 10 picks, but 
you know, January, February is when you really start to hone in on individual players. And, and Murphy has, has shot up tremendously um, because of that. I'll, I'll throw one more name out there. I, Xavier Worthy. I, I don't know if it's, you know, just because of how much Texas football I've watched. I feel like he's being slept on a little bit nationally when I see mock drafts or rankings from colleagues. I'm always a little surprised at how low he's ranked. I think he has a great opportunity next week to uh, to come in and show number one, just how fast he is. He's going to, he's going to burn up the track with that vertical speed. But I think also to answer questions, a lot of people have labeled him as, oh, he has drop issues because of the 2022 tape. A lot of the drop issues really went away in 2023. I think he, he and Ewers just got on better chemistry, better understanding of how, how the ball is coming in. So I think Worthy has a, a huge opportunity to put himself into the first round next week. Uh, yeah, and indeed, Matt Miller's latest mock draft, which is a two-round mock draft, he does have Xavier Worthy uh, as a first-round pick. He's got Byron Murphy, of course, as a first-round pick. he got Xavier Worthy as one as well. And I think Xavier Worthy, the drops in 2022, I think most Longhorn fans attribute that to the broken hand that he had. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure when he talks to the NFL scouts, that will be confirmed that he had a broken hand in 2022. Uh, so you have to obviously include that as a data point in your overall evaluation of him and then look at 2023 where you didn't have the drop rate. Uh, hell, A.D. Mitchell has the lowest drop rate among any of the top wide receivers. They're like 1.2% percent drop rate we know that because he works real hard we heard from Bijan that he catches 500 balls after practice so ad mitchell is usually the wide receiver in these mock drafts i've seen creep into the first round if he runs a 4-4 of any kind high or mid he's definitely going to be a first round wide receiver in my mind but now you got matt miller saying no no, no. people should go back to xavier worthy's film he's the guy that showing first round potential. I remember Mel Kuyper saying on NFL Live when he was asked which one of the wide receivers in this really deep wide receiving class are the most underrated. He said the Texas guys are the most underrated. He remarked that Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell should be higher up on draft boards. So maybe both one of those guys ends up creeping into the first round. That would give you two players in the first round. Don't forget yesterday we, we read the Jim Nagy uh, thread, uh, the senior bowl executive, about Tavondre Sweat, and he claims Tavondre Sweat's combination of size and speed are so unique. And because the NFL is trending toward paying more interior D linemen, you got uh, half the highest paid defenders in the NFL are interior D linemen these days. If you take the top 16, then that would mean that Tavondre Sweat potentially – could end up being in the first round, especially if he proves that he can play at a lighter weight, be better conditioned. If he looks good in the agility drills, he looked great at the senior bowl practice. And now this is a guy that can, he's already proven he's an elite force run defender on first and second down. If he can prove he can be an elite pass rusher on third downs, he could creep into the back of the first round too. Man, that would be three or four guys in the first round. By the way, Matt Miller still has Jonathan Brooks' first running back taken off the board. That's the case for Mel Kuyper, for A.D. Mitchell, also for Daniel Jeremiah. Everybody's got Jay Brooks as the top running back on the board. So he'll probably go in the second round. Um, and then he also has J.T. Sanders going in the second round at pick 49 to the Cincinnati Bengals. So he's got five players essentially being taken in the top 50 for the Longhorns. Uh, you go look at it all around. That's pretty good. That is good. That's really good. Uh, and it's you know, historic at a lot of levels as far as uh, and how meteoric, how quickly it's changed. It was just two years ago they didn't have anybody drafted. You're right. They only sent two, two to the combine. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I mean, to go from that number to having 11 going, I mean, it's uh, – and that, that to me speaks to development because if you had said to any of us, hey, two years from now they're going to have 11 players going to the combine and maybe five getting drafted in the top 50 picks – 
We just said, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that speaks to development because that's why I talk about you're, you're, you're developing your highly recruited players, like, like JT Sanders was oh, a five-star yeah. kid. Uh, obviously, Xavier Worthy was one that Sarkin targeted and high, uh, high, high recruit out of, out of California. Um, you know, Byron Murphy was a three-star recruit, but, uh, you know, he's only he's a junior. So he's leaving he's, early. He's leaving early, yeah. So he's rising. And then, you, so, yeah, you're, you're developing the guys that were here. You're developing guys you're targeting. And um, so whether it's the, the five-star kids or the three-star kids, they're getting better. They're getting better quick. And they're performing on the field. So – uh, this is this is hopefully if you're a Texas fan, the sign of things to come. This is the first combine we're going to be yeah. a bunch of dudes going. Yeah, I mean, next year you could have one one at quarterback. You know, Kelvin Banks could be a top five be, pick and tackle be a tackle next year. Too. Yeah. If these things continue to to develop this way, you could have yeah. you know, two top Bond ten picks. Is a guy that trends toward being a first yeah. round pick if he and Quinn have that connection. That you know, that, that's three guys on your your team that look like they could be first round pick. And a lot of people that think that you know, a young Ethan Burke could take a huge step forward. Um, that he Has could, the measurables. He's, yeah, he's got all the measurables, looked really good, had a really good season last season, that if he takes a lead, that's a guy that could end up getting uh, a lot of, you know, high early round draft consideration. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Texas hasn't had three players drafted in the first round since 1980. Now you would think, damn, didn't they have a lot of guys drafted in the first round? They, they had a run where they had at least two players drafted uh, in the first round in six of seven years in 2000. It was like 01, 02, 04, 05, 06, 07, had two players drafted in the first round of each of those drafts. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of what, that's that era that Longhorn fans remember all too well was constantly guys being drafted in the first round. You had that type of high-level talent on your roster just replenishing year after year. You developed that NFL pipeline. That is the hope now that Sark is starting that kind of pipeline, but we haven't seen Texas have that type of first-round talent in a few years. You're going to have first-round talent. There Now the it looks like some of the indications are from the mock drafts. You could have two, as many as four potential players taken in the first round. If that's the case, that would put Texas in a rarefied place uh, where they have not experienced that in a while. Like I said, 1980, last time they had three uh, picks in the first round. And they had seven total in 2007. Those were good years. You could have as many as eight. Uh, in this draft, that would be, you know, that would kind of break the modern record for Texas. I believe in 1984, obviously pre-modern uh, draft, you had 17 draft picks, something like that. But 10 of 10 were in the first seven rounds. 1992, 1991, you had eight players drafted total. So, you know, I think Texas getting back to some of those glory days when it comes to uh, the NFL draftable talent on the Fort Acres. 100%. Uh, one week from tomorrow is when the uh, combine opens. It's going to be fun. And begins its, uh, its run. So uh, looking forward to that. We'll obviously uh, be, be knocking it out of the park with that. That's uh, good stuff. And behind the burn orange curtain, we'll come back when we do. What's popping? What are we watching tonight? What's Ty going to be gambling on tonight, potentially? We'll have some fun with that. Come back. Hook him up with Ian Rodby. Just joshing. I'm spending this holiday locked in. My body got rid of them toxins. Sports in the top ten. I can put the ball in the end zone. What is popping? It is... Uh... Slim picking on the live sports front tonight, Rod. If you want to watch some uh, college hoops, you got Florida and Alabama in a ranked matchup tonight. Kentucky and LSU in the SEC. Big 12 off tonight as far as uh, big-time college hoops. They had their games Monday and Tuesday night with uh, big doubleheaders in both nights. Actually, no, Oklahoma State plays at Cincinnati tonight if you're looking for some Big 12 basketball. But, uh, yeah, it might be your your Patriots Dynasty night if you're looking for something sports related or uh, find something else, you know, stream something uh, because there's and NBA's not back till Thursday. Um, uh, go back and watch the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
right. Watch that, that Patriots documentary Patriots you were good. talking about. That's a good one. You can watch that. Got to have Apple Plus, but once you have that, you're rocking and rolling. Yeah. If you haven't seen Oppenheimer, go check out Oppenheimer. It's stream. It's, it's being streamed, that's I think, on, on uh, Peacock right now. Peacock, yep. Um, that's not a bad one. You can go check that out. Yeah, I mean, it's you've got to start diversifying. Your entertainment options these days. They're, well, they're they're divide, they're diverse. There's something for everybody. Um, oh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's some there's some golden era of television. So it's actually no reason for you not to find something. Yeah, but if you're looking for sports tonight, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. By the way, I did see on Netflix too that there's a documentary that's dropped on Netflix about um, the Buffalo Bills. Oh, Jim, I saw the, that. The Jim Kelly Bills. And I the put four it on my queue. You're right. It's called Four Something. What is yeah, it? Yeah, four, I mean, four Super Bowls, four losses, essentially. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's what it's about. But I, I think it's called Four I saw it last night, actually, and I put it on the queue because it was going to be one of the, <clears throat> the uh, shows I watch. Because uh, I like, I mean, everybody now is trying to get in on some type of, sp- if you're in, not in the sports, live sports air, arena, you need to be in the sports documentary uh, kind of sports documentary space. And Netflix, remember, this is where The Last Dance was, right? What did Netflix? Uh-huh. Yeah, so they know. Well, they know and, about and, the impact and, of it. You know, there's reports now today that Netflix has just announced that it's greenlit an untitled documentary film which will explore the setbacks that led to the departure of the Montreal Expos from Montreal. Yeah. They, they figured it out. It's like, nah, man, this sports documentary stuff, this could be our space. We yeah. can get deep into us. Yeah, fans they love can it. get live. They aren't they in wrestling now? Didn't they sign a wrestling. contract with w, right with WWE? Netflix, yes. Yeah. So they uh, kind of live sports, live entertainment sports, that kind of thing. And I mentioned earlier in uh, Bullish or BS that I'm excited about this. I mean, the other, um, you know, it's a copycat industry, right? And oh, every industry is copycat. Yeah. But uh, the Beatles, uh, you know, are, are getting this is this is a bold, what's popping? But um, according to the Hollywood Reporter and multiple others now, a biopic film series on the band The Beatles That's is bold. in the works. Uh, Skyfall director Sam Mendes has signed on for this. There's going to be four different movies about The Beatles, one from the perspective of each member. And, uh, you know, you asked all the good questions. Are they going to cross over? Or are we they, gonna have... they have to. Yeah. Uh, there will be four films, one from the perspective of Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. Ooh, who's going to play Yoko? Well, you know, the casting's at some point. <laughs> uh, they will hit theaters in 20 and 27. Specific schedule has not been announced. but uh, and, and this is big here because it, I'm sure this has been thought about for a while, doing a, a biopic. But it's the first time Paul, Ringo, and the families of John and George have granted full life story and music rights. That's why it's going to be different. Yes. That's why it's going to You can use actual footage, the actual songs, music, everything then. Okay. That that is gonna be that's gonna be different then. This is so, and it's it's four different movies, but you know essentially telling their their trade. I mean the, the the growing up and, and how they found their way into the Beatles, and then once they were in the Beatles, I mean yeah, this is gonna be pretty. That's bold. I like it. This a lot. Well, so are they gonna go? Are we talking about? Yeah. So are we gonna go younger and older here? They're gonna have the same actor basically play them in all the different. That's what you don't know. That's, eras. Yeah. This is all phases. just announced, but uh, I think you would have to, right? You'd have to cast Paul so, McCartney. So your, your makeup crew's got to be on point, too. Well, because remember, uh, Paul and John Lennon, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, were, were childhood friends. That's what I'm saying. So you'll go through all the phases of this thing? I think, I think well, if you're going to do four different movies, I think each one would start out growing up and have, you know, the instrument, you're telling a biopic, you know, where'd you, because this is another genre that's been very popular, whether it's the Elton John biopic or the Queen biopic that they did or you know, the Michael Jackson is coming, the, you know. Bob Marley one reason. Bob Marley is out right now, which yeah. both of my, two of my kids have seen and said they really liked it. Yeah. Only thing they said on the bio, the Bob Marley one is the the accents are thick, and you got to really listen. Okay. Because uh, it's uh, Jamaica man. Yeah. 
Uh, see that. But, but both very much liked it. So, yeah, they, this is a genre that's doing very well, and they seem to, to hit. I mean, we know Joaquin Phoenix did Johnny Cash and uh, Ray Charles. The casting has got to be key, though. If you're going to do an iconic figure where everybody knows the mannerisms, everybody knows how they speak. Oh, Paul McCartney's still alive, so it's Ringo. Yeah, it's been well documented. Right? Everybody knows exactly how they sound and how they talk and walk. you got to make sure you nail the casting. Well, that's in the history the of the Beatles, the Beatles has been so, so, told so many times. And so well, right? The documentaries that have already been made about yeah. this band and the books that have been written about this band are, are extensive. You got to get it right. So, yeah, that's I'm, that's popping for me. I like I'll that. be in on that. Yep. But I, I, so I don't watch real superhero movie, Rod, but they have individual superhero movies, and then they cross over, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm thinking this is. This will yeah. be. You know, no, you're right about that. You tell the individual stories, but then at some point they kind of mend it all together. And, but if it's coming from the perspective of each one, then it's a different this it, is how I perceive this. Yeah. So, like, it'll be when they do the Yoko Ono thing, how everybody <laughs> yeah. how everybody in the group saw Yoko Ono from their own individual perspective. Was it a disaster? Was it, you know, did they they think that they like Yoko, they not like Yoko. I can't wait to see that part, too. It's going to be good. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Right, that's popping for me. That's popping. Rod, Wednesday will be popping for you. Enjoy yes, yours. Sir. We'll do it again on a Thursday. Ty, thanks so much, my friend. Great stuff back there. Thank job, you to Ty. Nick Shuley as well. Nick was with us. He gave away those tickets to the uh, – the big showcase coming up this weekend. Appreciate him doing that and all his conversations. Thanks to everybody that was a part of it, all the messages, all the text, all the conversation. If you missed any part of our show, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast at hornfm.com. Coming next, you know it's Jim Rome, then it's Rich Eisen, then it's Patrick Davis in the Sports Complex this afternoon. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Zero dark early on a Thursday morning. Austin is a great city, one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And as the city continues to grow and thrive, so does Ironworkers Local Union 482. Many of the iconic landmarks we love in the city were created and built by the skilled craftsmanship of Ironworkers Local Union 482. And right now they're hiring over 3,000 people for a huge project right here in Central Texas. And if you want to become one of these valued members of the Ironworkers Local Union 482 team, you can do it right now. They're offering competitive wages, competitive benefits, pension plans as well. Go to ironworkers482.org. That's ironworkers482.org to find out more information.